Welcome to Green Tea, sustainable stories from Bowdoin campus and beyond. A production of the Bowdoin Sustainability Office with your hosts Marie Caspard and Diego Velasquez. Telling stories about sustainability from the perspective of faculty, staff, students, and Brunswick community members. This is the first episode of season two. We're, we're exceptionally excited to kick off our interviews this spring semester with our guests, talking about their connection to sustainable food systems and broader environmental topics. Episodes will be posted on the Bowdoin Sustainability website the Friday following their airing on WBOR 91.1. Find this episode there, as well as all of Season 1, this Friday, February 7th, at www.bowdoin.edu slash sustainability slash green dash t dash podcast. Today we have the pleasure of having Captain Paul Joyce on the show. Paul has been Bowdoin's uh, boat operations manager for a number of years now, working closely with students and faculty doing marine research at the Coastal Studies Center um, in the Earth and Oceanographic Sciences program and the biology department. Prior to Bowdoin, Paul worked as a marine patrol officer for the main department of marine resources. Paul, welcome to Green Tea. Well, thank you. Thank you, guys. <laughs> uh, can we start off with the basics? Uh, can you tell us exactly what your role was as Marine Patrol Officer in the Gulf of Maine? Sure. Uh, I came originally from Massachusetts, and uh, I applied for the position, and of course, like anything, you have to go through the civil service program, you know, testing, and then uh, psychological profile, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and they found out that I was abnormally normal, so I was accepted. <laughs> no, but anyhow, uh, my first patrol was Washington County, which is the easternmost county in, in Maine. And uh, they didn't have to be politically correct in those days so much, you know, like uh, they could be very uh, general in asking you questions. It could make you very at unease in some way. So they, they said, oh, okay, well, you're from Massachusetts. Maybe if you last down there, we'll think about keeping you. <laughs> so that gives you an idea. They couldn't say that today to you, you know. But uh, I did last. I was a couple of years in, in Washington County, and as a Marine Patrol, it used to be called the Sea and Shore Fisheries up until the 19, early 70s, and they changed their name to the Department of Marine Resources okay. to be more inclusive of other things that they were doing at the time. And uh, they changed the Sea and Shore Fisheries officers or wardens to the name of Marine Patrol officer. Mm -hmm. So in the law books and so forth, they kind of like go between the two. Uh, more often than not now, it's Marine Patrol Officer. But if you mm -hmm. look at a book a few years old, dealing with the statutes, it might say Coastal Ward. Mm -hmm. you know? okay. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I spent my first two years down in Washington County and then uh, started moving down towards the coast and uh, worked in with, you guys might think of this as mid-coast, but I worked a little further than this, uh, the Damascotta area, Bremen, Bristol, South Bristol. So usually an officer has five towns, one person. You have five areas along the coastal mm. waterfront. And then you have responsibilities of towns inland, but mostly for marketing purposes. And then uh, from there down to Kittery, Elliott, York, South Berwick, Isle Shoals, there's nine islands out there. Everybody thinks it's New Hampshire. <laughs> but five of the islands, five of them, are actually in Maine. Mm. Matter of fact, there's... Uh, Cornell and the University of New Hampshire have a field facility down oh, there. Oh, cool field station and it, it's in May <laughs> on Appledore Island so you know when you're down there you figure out the distinction and everybody likes to like play with it you know yeah, yeah. so what was it like starting all the way down east in Washington County and moving 
you know, down in Midcoast. I grew up just outside of Boston, so you can imagine. I could really tell you where to park your car. <laughs> so, but uh, for the most part, it was very, it was an eye-opener. I mean, because all of a sudden you're very provincial. And the best part of it was working. So if you weren't working, it was like, wow, you know, which if you hunt a fish, then all of a sudden, because you're a Marine Patrol, you're on 24-hour call, you almost were sort of working again, <laughs> even if it was your day off. So it was very different. It was an eye-opener, very provincial area. Uh, it's a big clamming area, big scalping area. And there you had to deal with what's on the Canadian side. So you right on the line, you know. And the tides were huge. And moon tides were 24 feet or so. The average tide being about 18 feet. So it was quite a drama for each tidal flow. Mm. And the geography was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. So it's it's something to see. Anybody that goes to school here should take an opportunity to go to, <laughs> to, go to uh, Washington County, mm-hmm. check out Cobbs Cook Bay, and there's a state park there for staying, uh, camping it, and so forth. But uh, it's absolutely beautiful. They call mm. it reversing falls where it's kind of the water coming into these huge bays is choked off, so it has to spill in. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's actually a reversing falls as a result. That's interesting. Isn't it? It's yeah. really cool. It's something yeah. to see. Yeah, you know? a spectacle. Yeah, huh. yeah. And mm-hmm. it happens every every time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's quite incredible. Yeah. 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 What kind of laws were you enforcing? Like, were there species-specific, like, legislations that you had to follow? Like, yeah, every state is similar in a lot of ways. Some are commonwealths and some are states, you know, so like it's the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So the way they reference their laws, like Maine, state of Maine statutes, subsection, and, and all conservation law in the state of Maine is Title 12. So when I say it's similar, if you were to go to anywhere, New Hampshire or uh, you're from Virginia, you told me? Yes, sir. Uh, you would find that, geez, it's very similar, but it might be chapter so-and-so, Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia, mm. laws, statutes, and how it works, right down to the paragraph and mm. sentence. So that part I did write down, and, <laughs> and just so it gives a formality to what the Department of Marine Resources, or right in the beginning of its time, which is in the 19, 1860s, it's like the first wardens were in seashore fisheries, there were fish wardens, and uh, and then it became more involved with uh, time as time went on. Mm-hmm. More things that are, you know, and it started more or less almost like a per diem type of position. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll use you today, but not tomorrow uh, for this month or for whatever. And then, you know, that person might have been a fisherman themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, it usually was dealing with bait fishing, fishermen and so forth, and. Maybe we'll get to that at some point. But the department itself was established, obviously, to conserve, develop marine and estuarine resources, to conduct and sponsor scientific research, promote and, de- uh, and develop it, and have uh, partners with it. You know, it could be private partners mm-hmm. or other government agencies. And uh, develop the marine coastal fishing industry. Industry is a very important component because, you know, when you think of fishing in Maine, everybody thinks first of lobstering, and it's an industry, mm. you know. Yeah. And uh, then to advise and cooperate, again, with local states, so all the different nuances and all the agencies uh, concerning activities in the coastal waters, and to administer and enforce the laws. I thought, oh, excuse me, guys. 
I did. It's one of those crank calls, probably. <laughs> you know? Oh, you owe us money. So, uh, uh, it, it's it's put there for conservation to make sure things are preserved for the future and so forth. So things are designed in the law when you say regulation. So I was enforcing regulation and then laws. Laws, again, like any state, are legislatively put in to the books. But you can't manipulate those as quickly because you have to have all the legislators agree. You have to write a bill. It has to come in up to the House and all that sort of stuff. Everybody's going to agree. And that doesn't always happen, as we very well know. (laughs) So... Uh, what happens is with regulation that gives the commissioner, he's the director of the fisheries, uh, an opportunity to decide, an opportunity to make things more manageable. For instance, red tide. Everybody is familiar that eats shellfish or usually becomes familiar with it. <laughs> red tide is a, a naturally occurring organism. You know, it's produced on the water, asexual reproduction, and it flows in inward and it's detrimental to humans to other mammals too so it's like a little tiny zooplankton yeah i believe isn't it yeah Yeah. so uh it's toxic and uh historically they always said there's stories about if you tingled your lips tingled (laughs) or uh you know you were going to be done in a few minutes and all that sort of stuff and it and uh people that had i mean it's in the history books that way you know and the other old time has always said you never eat shellfish without an hour in the month. So June, July, August, you know. And that's usually when you have your red tide blooms occur in the spring. They flow inland and the waters are shut down. So if that was a law, how would they ever get managed? You know, so it's a regulation. So therefore the commissioner, the director of fisheries, can close it for public health purposes. Mm-hmm. So then it's not conservation, it's public health, yeah. you know, so... Yeah. There's multiple hats you wear in, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for some parts of the law, you're wearing a public safety hat. So in Maine, for instance, and I do know from training with Virginia wardens that it's the same, that you have authority over all the laws. So in Maine, mm-hmm. Marine Patrol would be t- lousy at tax law, but they have authority <laughs> over they just put it in a general way for things that deal with it, which sometimes deals with marketing or, or, or industries, you know, mm-hmm. where the violation might take place or <clears throat> making it so there won't be a violation to get voluntary compliance. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that way how that works, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's basically the, the regulations allow sort of control over on an annual, daily, whatever event, and then it has the authority of law. If there is a violation, yeah. you know. Huh. So, you mentioned um, in your time in Washington County. I was curious about the 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 enforcement that you had to do with like American and Canadian uh, boats. And if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it was very interesting. You know, like if uh, and we did have this. A Canadian scout boat comes down and he's in the main waters. We board him and tell him he can't be here and he didn't want to hear from us and he didn't want us on board but he was in main waters so we had every right to be boarding him and he relinquished to our boarding in a uh, kind of a very irritated way and uh, so we were very particular we were nuanced in the way we were doing things because you're not going to cause trouble if you if you don't have to you know 
So we told him we were there to do our job, but he couldn't keep what he had in this drag. They drag for scallops. Mm -hmm. And of course, he dumped them in a pile and said, I'll be back to get them later. So he took the drag, being in a pile, what I mean is he has his chart, Latin long, he knows right where he is, dumps the drag, and he knows that this this they're sitting spread out a little because they're mm-hmm. going to sink down mm-hmm. in the water column, but he knows yeah. they're going to kind of be there There's in a that area. Of yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then he leaves, and, and uh, we tell him, you know, if you're here again, we'll just confiscate your boat. So mm-hmm. that's sort of like you try to parley that way. You know? Right. Yeah. With uh, the locals, uh, it, they play somewhat of the same situation, and when you're down there, it could be a clam digger, and he's like, pretending he doesn't know what you're talking about <laughs> could be that or they might run because it's a closed area so it's a public health area so they actually will see where you are and then they start it starts as a jog a fast walk and they'll leave with their hoe that's the that's the uh clam digging implement they don't they'll they might leave their uh the container uh clams because then they're weighted down, <laughs> you know? but they don't want to lose their hoe that costs them a few bucks so you know, but the hod is a pile of clams, mm. and uh, you know they'll they'll get out of there if they know they have enough space, and they'll run from you. you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have to chase anyone? Yeah, you do. You sometimes chase them. I can remember some guys running, and they sort of like had a head start on me because I hit the mud, and they're getting a little bit in the more of the harder sand mud area, you know. <laughs> and uh, oh my I yelled to them. I said. Eh, forget you guys of course with some different <laughs> different wording <laughs> and uh i waved my hand at them and they stopped and then they go well let's make a deal and i'm like what kind of deal let us keep our clear you know it went from that i go hey look i won't bring you to jail you can keep your hose it's up to you guys and i go ah forget it screw it i'll just wait till you're watching tv and now they're like wondering you know so they eventually talked to me you know, so that happened. But sometimes they just run, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And do you catch them? Yeah, it depends. You know? <laughs> if you get somebody up above that's in the intersection, you know how they drove in. So we might have another warden set up, you know, mm-hmm. if we have time to do that. Usually you don't because you're by yourself, you know. We were noticing the number yeah. of I looked this up wardens. the other day. I think it was like, there were like 40 in yeah. the state of Maine, yeah. which feels like a lot, but also it's usually 50 not that for much. the coastal. It's okay. there's approximately 100 for the game ones. Okay, it's a lot of a lot of land and sea to cover. It's yeah. huge. 40 or 50. It's yeah. huge. So say Marie and I were working partners. So she's off two days a week. She's on a 24-hour call. I am too, and uh, she goes off at five o'clock the night before her two days off. And then she's not on call until 8 o'clock the morning. She has to report back. So th- her two days, I have to cover for her. And then she has to cover my two days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden I have her five towns, my five towns. And uh, it's hard to work any details. So if you're trying to get a detail together, you see if someone else is on, on the other side of you. Mm-hmm. And if they're off too, now you're covering upwards of 15 times. Wow. Uh-huh. And if someone called in sick, then you're just running around. <laughs> it depends on the time of year, you know? Yeah. And you have to prioritize, you know, uh, from everything. The public safety part is boat accidents, drunk mm. boating, stuff like that. You know, uh, at a boat launch, somebody 
getting into arguments and all that. So mm -hmm. you weigh, if you have multiple calls, you have to weigh multiple calls. You yeah. have to weigh mm -hmm. which is going to be the priority and who they can send. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's uh, you're on. When you're on, you're yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. and you could figure space. it out in the summer. You didn't you didn't hang up your uniform. It usually draped over the kitchen table because you were climbing in a quick <laughs> over a chair or something. <laughs> you know? So yeah. everybody in your household gets used to it. Yeah. So and when you are off, and the neighbors know you too, as a result, all the people in your patrol, that your direct area, the fishermen know where you live usually and everything, and uh, some come to your house more or less uh, with either information or they're, they're somewhat acquainted or friends with you and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. But some come to, you know, be troublemakers. Mm -hmm. So you have to weigh it all out, you know, with family members and all that. Yeah. But yeah. other law enforcement agencies, everybody's dispatching, game wardens, state troopers, marine patrol, uh, forest rangers, they're all listening on the same radio frequency. So certain calls that come in that they'll back you up, mm -hmm. you know. So a trooper wouldn't go running in the mud because he's got shiny boots and shiny <laughs> uniform, you know. But he might stop at the intersection in it or the top of a trail coming out of a, mm -hmm. you know, coming out of the coast somewhere, you know. Mm -hmm. So that it's helpful that way. Right. And game ones will just get right into it with you as soon mm -hmm. as you mm -hmm. need them. They jump right into whatever it is. Yeah. You know, so you kind of, everybody works together. <laughs> So you're, like, traveling a pretty big surface area in, like, a day? Or do yeah. you, like, are you just, like, boating around all the time? Like <laughs> No, you could be, you start out, I'll give you an instance, say, uh, uh, springtime, when things start getting, start going, it starts with the sucker fisheries, which is uh, commercial fisheries. The owl wife start running, which they have down here at uh, the brewery. Mm -hmm. uh, what the heck's the name of it? Frontier? No, the no. one right on the other side of the bridge. Oh, Sea Dog. Dog Brewery. Right. But on the frontier side, there's a fish ladder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a plexiglass to see the fish coming up. The owl wife will run there. With that, the smelts run too, and that's a nighttime fisheries. It's a recreational. It's been closed the past few years. Hopefully it will reopen. It's a two-quart limit because the fish come in to spawn. Uh, Catadromous, uh, type of setup. And then uh, the alvers are coming, too. So they come in mass, and those are baby alvers, baby uh, eels. So hmm. that's a catadromous species, living in it fresh and then spawning they, yeah. in, in the salts. And they all do it in the Sagasso Sea, a Sagasso Sea, which is near the Bermuda Triangle type area. So it, they come in mass, and they go to every stream, whether it's Iceland, England, New Jersey, you know, they just kind of mess. Whereas uh, salmon imprint a little bit more, right. and some of your other anadromous fish imprint to the rivers that they've s mm -hmm. they've, they've spawned, been spawned on it, right? Like their home. Yeah, exactly. So the alvers come up before they really develop, so they haven't really produced a notochord, you know, uh, which is the first of it. Like when we're even developing, we have the little notochord and the little dot. You know, is that the like the pharyngeal slits, like <laughs> gills? Oh boy! They're even in us, you oh know. When you, as we first develop, you know, so uh, they want them before that. So they're really kind of clear. They're just like a. They look like a. You like know. glass eels, right? Yeah. Well, glass eels an actual species right. too, but they're called that for. Uh, well, a glass eel is it, it's an alver. 
you know. So <laughs> it's got more of a clouded look to it a little bit, mm -hmm. I should say. So as soon as they start developing that, that nervous system is when they don't ship as well. You know, so they come in mass, uh, maybe this long. I think the alvers to, I'd have to look at the regs, but I think it's six inches, if I remember correctly. So they come in, and the only way to, an analogy would be when a little kid has a big booger hanging down. <laughs> it looks kind of like that. <laughs> it, it does, though. <laughs> you know, when you see them and they don't know it's yeah. there. You know, and, uh... You know, mouth. yeah, and they come <laughs> in mass, so you you could actually, and they'll go up any water course. So I've seen them like come into a fish ladder, and they're on the the wall where the water's bleeding over, mm -hmm. and you could take a paint scraper and scrape like hundreds off. You wow! Know? Wow! So uh, when they come up, they obtain they can't fish in fish ladders, obviously, so they have certain nets that occurs in the spring, and that has to be that's closely regulated. No other eastern coast states has fisheries left it's just Maine hmm. so you know there's other places down south with because they originally the original fishermen came out of the Carolinas South Carolina and they would hire locals and they'd work the area up and down it's hmm. kind of a quiet fisheries and it broke loose you know hmm. so it's kind of like the wild wild east so that's the spring and you come into the summer things shift traps start going over beginning of summer late spring Traps are going over, so now you get up, you might go out at 4 in the morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, to see who's heading out. You look at the moorings, what boats are in their moorings, mm -hmm. what aren't. And uh, then you plan your day, you know. So yeah. uh, if it gets busy, if it's towards the weekend and it's near the 4th of July weekend, everybody's coming in, mm. you know, or it's a Wednesday before, all these trucks are going to market. So mm. there's, there's fish trucks loaded. They have certain regulations and mm. criteria. And uh, they're perfect checks, you know, make sure things are going that are legal within season. And then the lobstermen might come in, and the bait fishermen are coming in. So the guy that has uh, sucker traps out in the Kennebec River. So you're kind of like working it all. It goes crazy. And then, like I said, if it's a Friday night, now all of a sudden you get the recreational people, mm -hmm. you know. So all the fishermen kind of go home. And the wreck people come out, and let's go have a few beers, let's run the boat, you know, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so it just it can perpetuate. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. sometimes you might have a 12-hour day wow. as long as nobody's lost or anything. If someone gets lost, all bets are off, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, or a violent person escapes a situation or something. Yeah. yeah. Those are like the primary targets for yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have certain areas you hit. You're doing about probably, you might be in the boat for two or three hours and back in the boat for another hour and a half and then back in your vehicle mm. and then finally going home, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Yeah. So you, or you might have stopped at home for dinner and then go back <laughs> out so your family knows you exist. <laughs> yeah, what's the family think of this? Uh, they knew I wanted to do it. So even when you had kids, like uh, this was, again, pre-cell phones and everything, you wife was your A unit, so if you get a call from the barracks, it'd say the dispatcher, you know, A, a unit is checking in, da da, da. okay, uh, especially if I was late, you know, hmm. and yeah, I'm delayed by 15 minutes, uh, 
30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then as your B units figure that out, once they're old enough to allegedly take care of themselves at home by themselves. B units being yeah. kids. Those being kids, yeah. yeah. I so, love this terminology. <laughs> yeah, it made it easy for them, you know, like, yeah. and people would figure it out yeah. that'll listen to scanners. Oh, it was like so a forth. code kind of thing? Yeah, those codes. They, now yeah. they talk, since 9-11, they went to just common language. They tried to, so everybody was like, on the same page because mm -hmm. if you have 10 units for 10 calls for one place and then they change what 10-4 or 10-9 or 10-96 means and they're changing it to something else and you end up working together with federal guys and all yeah. that mm -hmm. so they try to uh, so they try to common language simple very simple terms you know like I'm here <laughs> but you still <laughs> pick up the you know but instead of saying your family or your kids are calling, it's still your B units. I like okay. that. Yeah. I, yeah. Would, I would like to yeah. incorporate that mm. into my terminology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it worked well. Tim yeah. 4, I always, I mean, I was getting such a habit of saying it. My wife would go, well, can you take out the trash, Tim 4? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or I, I. <laughs> uh, so you get used to it. Mm. Yeah. So, and then in the winter, it was much more predictable. You know, you had shrimp season, you had scallop season. Uh, offshore fishermen, they all know what they're doing. In the fall, you had, in addition with duck hunters and so forth, and uh, some sailors that are mad sailors that would sail right as long as they, there's no ice to sail on. Well, you know, so there's some that still will, this winter here is a perfect example. If it's a nice day, they're going to be out. Wow. You know, but they know what they're doing usually in the sense that you're not going to have. Any no, frozen people? <laughs> no, not usually, you know. If something mm -hmm. happens, it's usually more catastrophic. It's yeah. like, you know, so you're pretty good handling yeah. that. Mm -hmm. So if you decide to go to a movie and stuff, you know, you're not going to get paged out. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Mm -hmm. Pages were the big technology when I was in the <laughs> yeah. How far we've come. Yeah, yeah, how far. It's unbelievable how far with cell phones <laughs> and everything. Well, actually, it's more like a little computer with a phone in it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you see everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, speaking in more conservation terms, I guess we were curious to know, and this might be a big question, but like the changes you've seen to the Gulf of Maine, um, fisheries, uh, the broader environment in your time, and how many years have how many years were you working as Marine Patrol? Officer? I was with the Marine Patrol for 25 years. I've been in law enforcement for 28. So I was a Kennebunk officer trying to get into law enforcement. I was like a summer cop, you know, summer police officer. Yeah. And I was a Scarborough Shellfish Warden and slash police officer, and then I Marine Patrol. Okay. You know, so in that period, too, I was also, you know, Army National Guard, military police, did two years with them, and then eight year, uh, six years with the Coast Guard Reserves as a port security, which is still police work for the most part. Okay. And I said I'd never be a policeman. But uh, <laughs> I did say that multiple times. <laughs> and uh, it's it, it, the conservation end, could you say that question again? Yeah, I'm sorry. I guess we're curious to know what changes you've seen in, like, fish populations or... Um, I don't know the effect of uh, the effect of changing the ocean temperatures on the ability of you know fishermen to to do what they've done for generations, or even the approaches of, of fishermen themselves mm -hmm. towards climate issues. 
Yeah, you know, most of my, I don't really have hard data or anything, but most of it's empirical stuff, my experiences and so forth. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got done in 2011. I've been with this college ever since. Mm -hmm. So uh, I saw things changing in the sense that uh, the scientists coming in, who we worked with directly, were starting to change some of the seasons, regulations like shrimping. It's been closed for several years now. Right. And shrimp is a... Uh, it's, it changes, so it, it's male-female or female-male. I forget the cycle, so they change, you know. Could you describe that for uh, me? I don't Well, you know how some things are hermaphroditic, so they have both sexes, but a shrimp comes around, and there's a big circle in the Gulf of Maine, Gulf of Massachusetts, and they swing around, and their life cycle does. It's mm. like a, oops, like a giant circle. Okay. And uh, they change their sex, so... They might be up as male. I'd have to look at the science part of it again, you know. But ultimately what happens is it's a, uh, you need two years for a one-year biomass for harvest. Hmm. Does that okay. make sense to you? Right. So, uh, you know, that's been closed for several years. Hmm. So how much can you take and in, in, in what's the carrying capacity of this particular organism? So... I've seen that through observation. I've seen other things close, uh, the uh, smelts close, you know, because they're not getting the same numbers that they would get sampling previously. Mm -hmm. And the scientists, they use technicians in the summertime, you know, they talk to fishermen at, at the wharf and so forth. So there's reporting requirements for all fishermen. So lobstermen, they only have 10% of the group, I believe, have to report what they catch. And then they can get from there data, you know, put more hard numbers to it. So, like, the reports would be, like, for this amount of hours of uh, time on the water, I got, like, mm. this number of Yeah, so, so for some fisheries, it's daily. It's a daily report, and then monthly, so it might have, uh, today's February 3rd, February 3rd, no fishing. February 8th, gotcha. da, 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 this many pounds, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Stuff yeah. like that, mm -hmm. you know. So, uh, and then it might be the size. You know, okay. so many fish might have to be measured. Uh, so much of the species might have to be measured. Where they were obtained would have to be known, you know. So, and that went on all through the years anyhow. But with the, with the environmental changes, I observed some of it. But, again, I wasn't, it, it, it's been, it seems like these things, we've heard about them. They've been going on, but I think... Uh, the, the public information, which has been coming out much more clearly since even I've retired, mm. you know, as far as environmental changes with animals. I've seen things that are very unique. I've seen uh, dogfish, which are small sharks. It's a type of shark. And uh, I was off Cape Netic, and everywhere you looked was a fin. <laughs> <laughs> everywhere you looked. And we put down jigs to see if we could catch one or whatever. We didn't know what was going on. So I'm talking thousands and thousands and thousands of bottom fish that are up at the surface. Hmm. And uh, it kind of disappeared as quickly as it came, it seemed. Like, I, I can't put an amount of time, but it was easily like we were there for a good 45 minutes or an hour trying to, what the heck's going on? And then trying to reach scientists, you know, yeah. to see if there was any type of population you know, this is what we are. There's that classic starling thing they supposedly gather. It's like E.O. Mm. Wilson type of thing, population yeah. biology. How many are there of us, you know? Like, yeah. Mm. yeah, it's hard like to built into us. But uh, 
it was very peculiar. Another time was uh, sunfish. One year we had the water was just full of, it looked like it was briny. And it was filled with like a type of small, like a jelly type fish, jellyfish, mm -hmm. you know. And that brings in the sunfish. And we had just, I never saw so many. And it seemed like it lasted a year or that season and mm -hmm. then it was gone. So I don't, I, I wouldn't really be able to comment very well except to see what everybody else is seeing going on now, mm -hmm. scientists yeah. saying. And you'd have better information <laughs> than me just from taking the marine science <laughs> semester as temperature changes in yeah. the Gulf of Maine, and they've been very, Maine, Gulf of Maine has been exacerbated for yeah. whatever reasons, they don't even know. It's it's changing its temperature more dramatically than other areas. Right. Yeah. And uh, the way Maine is, the geography of it is, when you think of Massachusetts going to the uh, Provincetown and then Nova Scotia comes right down, you have the Grand Banks, so if you looked at it from a uh, one of those 3D model pictures mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it's you see that one little area where that water can drain out so it stays uh, cold in there all season which includes Bay of Fundy Maine you know yeah. and Cape Cod Bay you know and it stays cold it's got that sort of like a wall mm -hmm. underground hmm. mountain so I don't know but uh, you know the, the, there's been a lot of conservation efforts that have closed fisheries that yeah. normally would be fished Mm -hmm. so do you think part of it is that some of these populations are just struggling to sort of like re replenish year to year? Like is that? Well, some things like tatog, which you'd catch on Cape Cod, is all of a sudden there's some people catching it up in Cape Natick. So like so things are moving up as well. So what happens, you know? Yeah. And they've been talking the lobster, and before I retired too, there was shell disease. And it basically cleaned out the lobster fishing for a lot of Long Island Sound, mm. a lot of fishermen off of New Jersey, all that sort of stuff, right up through Rhode Island. And, uh, you know, there's always been shell disease, but then why is it all of a sudden, again, exacerbated, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and then they say the migration of that, of the lobster is actually moving, too, mm. with that. You know, colder water, it's a colder water organism. Yeah. So... Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a real good barometer. We need great scientists out there too. <laughs> but don't mind missing dinner sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think the empirical piece of you know, that, that narrative is also important though. You know. Very as as well as the hard science. Very. You know, in in, in order to like form an impetus for, for that sort of research, right? You got to know what's going on. And I think yeah. that, that like your connection to the fishermen themselves, like that's a, that's a route, a possible route for, for that information to be shared. Well, anybody that's a scientist and doing the work formally would have to, you would surely listen to your fishermen. Right. Whether it's here at Chesapeake Bay, down Florida, you'd have to, you have mm -hmm. to. Carolinas, or any place on the eastern seaboard. Because the scientists and the governments all work together. The Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Compact, it's a, it's a grouping where they look at and they meet and they, they work on regulatory type of things mm -hmm. and conservation and they have dictums that come down from NOAA 
you know, that they have to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, increase of poundage of certain fish or whatever, or something's not able to be caught. And then you have your other mammals in the water, too, that you have conservation things with, like uh, the right whale is the wrong whale to get tangled up and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's only, what, allegedly 300? They spawn out down in Florida somewhere. Right now they're in Massachusetts Bay feeding and... You know, there's gear issues, there's ship issues, you know, so uh, where inside do you need gear changes? There's all sorts of talk. You know, mm -hmm. we're in that paradigm shift right now, whereas there's sort of dictums coming from nowhere, you have to do this. So that's why the states work together, yeah. too, mm -hmm. you know, and they have to. So it's yeah. kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And I guess speaking about, like, the changes to regulations... Um, and your your role as Marine Patrol officer. Yeah. Do you have input on legislation? Yeah, sure. It depends if you're an active person and, you know, there's places you, you're not going to go up against the department and yeah. say something and testify. <laughs> and, you know, you're going to deal with the consequences of that. But at the same time, you would bring things forward and mm -hmm. you'd make sure that it's being addressed. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, we do stuff where we've been brought up to review the regulation books. You know, please read this and let us know. And, you know, we get tortured for a few days. <laughs> everybody's reading it. We're highlighting lines and everything. You know, may, can, shall, will. Those are huge things. You may take something. Mm -hmm. Or you may not. Or you will. Or you will not. Shall and will and may are hugely different right. in your court of law. You know? <laughs> so, uh it, it's that simple to what the animal is, what the organism is, so you can be directly involved with it, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and depending upon what you do or your knowledge base with it, lobster traps, for instance, have a runner on the bottom, wooden rails. Some of them have cement rails. Mm -hmm. And uh, they notice that if it lost its rail, it would start digging up the bottom, and there's small lobsters down there, so implicit lobsters in the trap, if that traps being dragged at all it's going to disrupt that critter mm -hmm. so uh, they require it through regulation you must have runners yeah hmm. but now the officer obviously has to keep in mind that your runner may be off on one lobster trap and the warden say hey you gotta repair this so take this out of your trawl you know, your trawl might be 12 traps mm -hmm. so see how it could drag you know hmm. but if you get a guy that's just fishing junk and he doesn't care and everything's just gouging up the bottom. Now you have to address yeah. it. So you're directly involved with it from a, that point of view to discussing it, how changes are made, and then it goes up the chain. And usually you're brought in as the person that has worked on this, mm -hmm. you know, so they have that information. Just as you alluded to earlier, that, uh, you know, listening to your fishermen. So now listening to your local <laughs> warden, too, you know. <laughs> You have yeah. to do that. Yeah. So, and he gets his information. His best information comes from the fishermen, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So you have to work with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. They knock at your door. You, you open. Hey, you want a cup of coffee? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and you sit down and get all sorts of info. <laughs> yeah, juicy stuff. <laughs> yeah. I guess we touched on science a little bit, but I kind of wanted to shift gears to talk about your role at Bowdoin and sort of facilitating marine research here. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about like what what the connection between those roles for you are? Um, I guess like why Bowdoin? Uh, well, it was close to my house. <laughs> That's retired. helpful. Actually, Randy Nichols, the director of security, he uh, is a retired major from the state police who we're acquainted. And then David Mercia, who is my lieutenant in Marine Resources, worked here. And, and why don't you come over here if you, if you would like, you know. And I came over, applied, and I started at the museum because it was like, oh, we can put you in there right away. And then train, ran around the campus on Sunday and Mondays, making sure you guys were okay. <laughs> and uh, also Dave Mercia ran the Beaufort, uh Professor Lane, Ed Lane, an EOS professor. And... Uh, Dave was looking to segue out of it, and so I jumped in for him, you know, mm. and he saw the perfect situation. So over time, it was there was other boats involved. The professor would have a boat or a grant, and the boat would be associated with it. But there was no, there was no margins of, no outline as to how these boats should be. Like, is if you get in a van, you have to go through the commentary drive, blah, 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 blah. And uh, they needed a boat program, so... They decided to hire me three-quarter time. Uh, we developed the boat program, updated the boating safety uh, and the boating, boating, boating policies and so forth. And also it was great because I could lean back towards the sciences, you know, mm. and have experience watching all of you, the young come up and you know, be curious <laughs> and have the energy to <laughs> carry on. And uh, it was delightful. It's been delightful. So... Uh, and I love to see the expansion that's going on right now. So uh, basically there's three operational uh, Schiller Coastal Studies boats that we have, the 16-foot, which you've been in, a 28-foot Parker that's quite a boat, but it has a hauler on it. It has a truffle, which is a framework to be able to put a net over if you wanted to, and it doesn't. it's supposed to keep it from getting caught in the propellers. Mm. And then... Uh, we have a 21-foot that belonged to Dr. Lichter. He was doing herring research with a fellow, Ted Ames. Ted Ames was a commercial mm -hmm. fisherman, mm -hmm. and cool. I think he's an honorary recipient of a degree from here. Yeah. And he's done a ton of work in the historical fishing grounds for the state of Maine. You know, so there's a fisherman. You listen to the fisherman. <laughs> so uh, it's been a great segue from marine resources to here and mm -hmm. able to sort of, like, practice my stuff and I'm sort of you know I make it easy and for the school because I know the regulation oh no you have to have this <laughs> no this boat has to have this mm -hmm. like you can't put a license you guys have a special license down there for the lab the wet lab to handle animals and the license says you can have 150 lobsters you can have 25 undersized you can have egg bearing you can have this animal you can get this animal out of season you can dig clams in a closed area but who is it what is it, you know? Yeah. When are you doing it? And those have to be reported. And how are you doing it? What mechanisms are you using? You know, so there's a cop, the state, yeah, we're going to be out in close area number 65, and we're getting samples. There's three of us out there. And everybody's put on the license. Marco Melendi, who handles the small animals here, is the individual that makes sure that those are all up to snuff. And the boats are put on those. How are you getting it? We're using this boat, so it has the special license. Otherwise, Marine Patrol could come over and go, hey, guys, <laughs> and everything's a misdemeanor, you know, fisheries-wise. Mm. Safety-wise, it's a civil offense. But, uh, you know, what do you got? 
Where's your permit? <laughs> you know, and that's happened. I, uh, I won't mention the school, but I was in Christmas Cove. And I was in the Midcoast, and a bunch of college students come up over the gangway, and they have a couple buckets of lobster, and everybody seems to be giggling a little too much. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, Friday afternoon, they're done with their research. And, uh, you know, they were going to take a few extra lobsters, and it's sort of that ethical thing. What do you do when no one else is watching? Yeah. You know, so... It's an important it's a, question. Yeah. It's huge when it comes to environmental stuff, you right. know. I mean, nobody's watching a litter, you know. Yeah. Nobody's watching, I'll, uh, I'll dump this down the sewer. You know? <laughs> yeah, so. and in the ocean, it seems like an especially... Uh, there's the potential for that to be an especially easy place to, to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Very and, easy. And there's a good incentive not to, yeah. but there's still the potential. And it's what you would do when nobody's watching. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing. It's, uh, it's what, you know. So, and have I found that? Most people are, are good. You know, yeah. I've seen people picking things up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, I've also seen someone that owns multiple apartments and they live on the coast and they're throwing a washer and dryer over the back side of it. And <laughs> insulation. And, a, and an urchin diver brought the insulation to me. There was no paper on it or anything. He's like, what is this? I dove in it. It got all over me, and then I got itchy. Oh I took off my dress. Yeah. Ah. And uh, <laughs> when insane. I went down and I caught the guy, there's a DEP violation. There's all sorts of violations, you know. And DEP was more compliance where we're more enforcement. Mm-hmm. So I can write DEP enforcement, so I wrote cases. This DEP comes in, oh, we'll come down, we'll clean it up. And I'm like, well, after I summoned this guy, you guys come <laughs> clean it up. So, and, you know, the guy was, like, totally, like, I'll beat you with this. I'm like, how are you going to beat me? It's probably going to be my day off. I'm going to get time and a half to go to court. You know, you're going to pay for lawyers? I didn't say that to him. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) So, yeah, it's what you would do when nobody else is around. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very important. It's very important. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of, like, falling on that thread, can you talk a bit about, like, in your role at Bowdoin College now, can you talk about the importance of what you see as the importance of education and bringing up the the next generations in, in like in earth and oceanographic science and education's huge education's huge huge and what you guys have for challenges i'm 63 so what you guys have for challenges to when you're my age it's it's huge it was earth day for me 1970 was the first earth day in april you know and it was really brought on by the uh, United Nations first, and a a fellow, I think, in in California or whatever, adapted, a congressman, excuse me, from Wisconsin, adapted it to become an issue with with, uh, the United States. So that was Earth Day, you know, like, okay, let's be nice to the planet we have here. So the challenges you guys have and with sciences to motivate we need people in there and it's not just the sciences it's the social sciences and how we look at things but mm-hmm. education bottom line to me is the key you know if we're going to be able to have people that can fly off this planet and spend multiple times in time in space which we have now and that grows a bigger way we have to take care of the insula the, mm-hmm. the planet itself you mm-hmm. know it's a huge thing and Marine Patrol, we have uh, Department of Marine Resources actually has an education component. So we have a, uh, a, uh, an aquarium down in Booth Bay, you know, small aquarium. P- 
people come in that are usually going to be teachers, college students, and so forth. And they have the touchy-feely tanks and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. And the animals there. So something as simple as that. Now, all of a sudden, you can't have tons of kids touchy-feely with sunscreen on. You know, So all yeah. of a sudden, you like, because it's a closed system. We don't have the ocean where you just lathered yourself. Two seconds later, I'm going for a swim and leave all these stuff in there, you know. But uh, it's a bigger place then, you know. So uh, right there, you're educating the person, the tech, you know, a college student that might be a marine biology major, maybe not, you know, but still getting that uh, information and then giving it out and then growing with it. It's such a huge component, and the, the, what you guys have here in Maine, at Bowdoin, is, to me, it's just unbelievable. I graduated UMass Boston. I graduated in Urban College, an urban university, and uh, it's it's the change from when I was that age to what it is now for what the needs you guys have. It's it's like sort of like all hands on deck is the way I see it. But there are paradigm shifts. Super Bowl yesterday, I think there was... A few of the great these commercials, and they were electric cars. It was a Porsche with an electric Porsche. <laughs> it was a Mustang with a, you know, a Mustang, an electric Mustang. So, you know, we need that paradigm shift to happen in a more radical way, I think, mm. and, it, and it requires education. Right. Yeah. It's the key to anything, mm. you know. It really is. You know. So from a Marine Patrol's perspective, you do all the PR, boating safety, you go to all the sportsman's shows, all that sort of stuff, you know, and you try to capture people. So if somebody says contrary to you or whatever, and then you just try to ask them, well, where'd you get that information? Where, you know, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? And then, well, why don't you look at this, you know? And a lot of times, you know, I mean, television is a perfect example. And even when you turn on the computer, they're advertising, always trying to sell you something or whatever. And uh, they'll even whatever your genre is with the computers, they figure out how you're doing things and they flag you mm -hmm. and they put things you like in there. Not that. the contrary. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? Doesn't it? It's Excuse like, me. yeah. I think you very much like considered actually buying stuff now because I feel like ads are so targeted in, in a way that's like almost helpful. I well, don't know. but <laughs> it, it, it could be helpful, but you got to be careful of it yeah. because at the same time they know, oh, they read this on this. They looked yeah. at this site on this really for this reason, you know. Here. And all of a sudden they're sending you and, you know, the, 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 the stuff that maybe you don't want or you're getting unfiltered or inf information that might not be sound, you know. So, I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, it, it happens to all of us. And for me, it's like my phone rang a little while ago, unfortunately. I don't recognize the number at all. They have this bumping thing. They grab someone else's number and they call you up. So... I've called the number back, and no, I didn't. <laughs> it's somebody's cell phone number. Uh. They can bump into it, use it to, to do different <laughs> things. You know, and they've called me up, and it could be you haven't paid this, and we're coming to get you. If you do not call this number back right away, you will be arrested. The authorities will come. I'm like, yeah, I hope they have lunch for me. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's so dumb. Yeah. But, you know, in that, that education has to come from, from every aspect, you right. know. In every area, which sounds weird, but it has to, you know. Mm -hmm. Little kids all the way up to, you're, you're an old fart like me. <laughs> We're still always have, learning. Yeah, yeah. Every day, if you're if you're lucky, you know. So you have to be open to that. Yeah, it's an active yeah. process. Ready for debate, at least. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah.
Well, I guess we have one more question for you to finish off our discussion. Um, our radio show is kind of themed around the ideas of sustainability, and I was wondering, if, do you have a definition of sustainability, or like, what does it mean to you? Sustainability to yeah. me is, is sort of like what we've, the whole thing we've discussed here in the past 40, 45 minutes has been sustainability. Yeah. How long can we make it last? Are we doing it right? I've talked about carrying capacities <laughs> and uh, a biomass and how much you can take, you know. So if it's that 12-ounce cup and you utilize all 12 ounces right away of whatever the liquid or whatever is in there, uh, where do you get the rest, you know, if it's a finite closed system? Now, if you know that 70% will, re if you use 30%, that's, uh, what's left, a uh, certain percentage of that, that's where the hard numbers, the sciences that need to be known, will spawn, made out, and you'll end up with, a, again, that 12-ounce cup, or maybe even more, cup overfloweth, you know, <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that type of thing. So sustainability to me is, is using something in a circle type of way. So mm -hmm. if you use it, how do you bring it back around? You know, our consumption of food as we, uh, uh, our industries, our fisheries to me is the, the part that I have sort of years working in. But uh, it's the same thing. How many fishermen can fish and how many lines can be out there? How many vertical lines can you have out there to protect the whales if you can? Is there a place in the inside that is all right, which it probably is, the outside, you may need some sort of other mechanism, less lines, more traps on a trawl. Mm -hmm. But what happens if the trap gets lost? You know, so, and when you're fishing, how do you fish something? So, uh, you're taking it, not just bringing a gill net. If you know about gill nets, they take whatever goes into it. So then you do sizes so little guys can go through it, mm. you know. And uh, how do you put it so when the big thing you don't want goes through it, you know. Yeah. So it, it, it's 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 all, and it comes right down to our lifestyle, you know. I mean, uh, we have to use we as we as we do the shift, we do use certain energies that we can't get away from. But how do we use them? When do we use them? And how do we think of them? Mm. You know. So it's interesting, yeah, but it, to me, it's a it's something that will kind of have a circle effect. You use a certain amount, and you're able to leave them a certain amount so they can come back. What is it like beekeeping? You have to if you take the honey, which is pretty good. <laughs> you have to leave a certain amount for the hive, right? Mm -hmm. To su survive. Yeah. Same idea, you know. That's what it is to me. Mm. But it involves everything from you throwing away your rubbish to how you buy things, how we package things. So a lot of things have to be attended to. You guys get a huge mission. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. You really do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks really for having me. Throughout the 2019-2020 academic year, we will be broadcasting on Brunswick's own radio station, WBOR 91.1, Mondays from 3 to 4 p.m. Each episode featuring live interviews from Brunswick and Bowdoin community members will be available in the following Friday on the sustainability website at bowdoin.edu slash sustainability under the green tea tab. There you can also find show notes, photos, and descriptions of past episodes. And we are currently looking for new stories to share through, the, through Green Tea. If you have done work within the environmental realm or believe that what you do for pleasure or business 
touches on the themes addressed within this podcast, please email Marie at mscaspar at bowden.edu. That's M-S-C-A-S-P-A-R at bowden.edu to get in touch. The music you heard in this episode is courtesy of Colby Santana of The Sustainers, who we interview in the last episode of Season 1. We're exceptionally excited to keep things rolling through Season 2. And as always, thanks thanks for for listening. listening.